Well, many of you sent along the message that you were missing your Thursday night at issue fix. You even sent along some questions. Well, lucky you. Because Andrew, Chantel, and Bruce were up for a midsummer challenge. They're all here tonight, and we appreciate you pulling yourselves away from the beach to, to handle this. The questions mainly centered around foreign policy questions, because so much of the summer has been taken up by that. Um, but it comes down, I think, in many ways to this question that came in from uh, uh, John Dobbin in Winnipeg. Watch this. Will foreign issues rival domestic ones for votes in the coming election, the election a uh, little more than a year from now? Now, conventional wisdom has always been, you know, foreign issues, they're important, but they don't run domestic campaigns. Could this be different? Uh, I'll go with the conventional wisdom. Uh, it's hard to see how for most voters. I mean, obviously, there's going to be single-issue voters on certain issues in foreign policy for whom it will be determinative. But for most voters, it's hard to see, barring us being involved in a war or subject to a terrorism attack or something like that, God forbid, uh, it's hard to see how that could become the, the salient issue for a large number of voters. I don't think they're irrelevant, though, in the same way that, in a large res respect, domestic issues can be, which is they help us shape perceptions of the leaders their characters, their values, where they draw lines in the sand, etc. And you can certainly see how they're positioning themselves trying to, to, to deal with that. It also can be important in terms of parties managing their internal divisions because certainly to the activists these issues are very, very important. And that's one of the challenges of leadership is figuring out how to manage those internal divisions over these kinds of issues. Well, we certainly have seen, especially the government, uh, out front on the, some of the big foreign issues of, of, of this summer almost daily certainly weekly with new announcements, new sanctions against Russia. Um, can it work in that way, Chantal? Well, it, it, it works and it doesn't work. I agree with Andrew. I don't think that when people cast a ballot in a year, unless we're on the verge of, of a war uh, and the issue is completely different. Imagine if we'd had an election in the middle of the debate on whether we participate in Iraq, uh, then it would have mattered to how people voted, but otherwise, I don't think that uh, when people cast a vote in a year, they're going to say, oh, Stephen Harper issued so many sanctions against uh, uh, Russia, especially since all this very loud uh, diplomacy from the government hides what is mostly a consensus amongst the main parties in the House of Commons on, on the big foreign issues of the summer. There is not a divide uh, with the NDP saying white and, and the liberals saying gray and, and the conservatives saying black. It's just that the conservatives are saying it as loudly as possible. That does not really make you uh, own an issue. And even if you care, for instance, if you are someone who is moved at the ballot box by uh, Israel or Palestine, I don't think there is an obvious choice that makes it better or worse for what you care about amongst the three. Bottom line, their foreign policy are fairly close to each other. On the internal politics, and I'll be brief about this, I am curious to see how the stresses play out on this issue, Israel, Hamas, etc., within the NDP, for instance, where there are stresses between the leaders' pro-Israel position and a section of the party. But that's not the ballot box. It's more the internal dynamics of a party. Where are you on this, Bruce? I wouldn't bet heavily that foreign policy is going to decide the outcome of the next election, but I do think there's a reasonable prospect that these issues will be more important than they have been in recent elections. And I say that for a couple of reasons. One is I think the world is a less secure place. The sense of the world order as we've known it uh, is changed. There are obviously lots of areas of conflict, but 
there have been in the past. What's different, I think, is that people are no longer sure what role the U.S. is playing or can play in resolving these disputes. They're no longer sure what they can count on Russia to do. What's the important role of China in the future of global affairs? All of that doesn't produce a, uh, necessarily a consensus about what foreign policy is best. But it does raise the stakes for the leaders around the question of should you be strident, should you be, is there risk in being too strident, will stridency end up looking like it accomplished a lot of noise but not much progress. On the other hand, for the opposition leaders, there's a risk that they might look too passive, too uninvolved, too disengaged, and therefore people might wonder whether they have the, the judgment or the skill sets, and that raises the question of whether change is more risky because the world is a less certain place. It, it also feeds into not just perceptions of the leaders, but perceptions of the country. And you can certainly see Stephen Harper addressing this frequently. For example, when he talks about World War I, mm -hmm. he talks about a lot of these issues. Uh, he will frame it as, this is a country that stands by its friends, that confronts its enemies, that makes choices, that draws lines in the sand. Now, whether you agree with his position on that or not, whether you agree there's a choice between that and moral equivalency or something it's on the other, position. he certainly is framing that as being a kind of a character question about the country. And for a certain type of voters, that will help, not in any direct way of, I will vote X because of that, but in terms of their perception of a lot of issues, it, it'll, it'll sort of frame that as, I'm this guy and those are those other people. You want to say? Yes, except that it's a double-edged uh, sword in the sense that uh, there is also the case to be made that uh, Stephen Harper's decisiveness, call it whatever you want, is changing Canada's approach to foreign <laughs> policy in a way that makes Canada less effective and less helpful. Most of us, most voters, do not expect us to stand up and come to the plate if the U.S. cannot resolve an issue because we are not that country. And so the, you, you can go too far in, in, in this uh, bullhorn diplomacy and while you may be defining yourself, uh, the definition might not suit a lot of voters who have a different image of Canada. I'm also struck by the fact that yes, the world is less safe, but that's since 9-11. In the election, that uh, 2005 election, we never talked about the Afghan deployment. It used up a lot of oxygen in the House of Commons after that. But we were already there, and it was never an issue in the campaign. So I'm dubious as to whether we look to our leaders uh, for world affairs. Well, just to close it out, and to use your, your terms, Bruce, uh, you know, stridency versus uh, being too passive uh, on issues. Have are the Canadian leaders been that way on this? Has Stephen Harper been too strident on his foreign policy pronouncement? Have the opposition leaders been too passive? I don't think you can conclude that yet, although I think that the, that's really what's at play right now. I think that the risks of stridency, um, the benefits, I agree with Andrew, are very clear. It's a, it looks like a values-based position. People understand exactly where the prime minister is coming from. They know that they can count him to, on him to take a clear and consistent position. But the problem with that position can be, is it pragmatic? Does it get anything done? And if you look at Barack Obama, you can make the case that He's been strident on a number of international affairs issues, and none of them are getting better. He's not moving the yardsticks with that kind of stridency. So um, take that and put it in the Canadian context where we're not going to apply our military might in very many situations. We don't have the financial resources to solve these problems by backing up our words. And so there is some risk there for the prime minister. For the opposition leaders, the question of if they ramped up their stridency, the question really is, will it look... Um, uh, put on? Will it look contrived? Will it look overtly political as opposed to substantive and, and values-based? All right. Next question. 
this one came from Edmonton. Danielle White writes in, Will a mood for change in government trump any issue, including the economy, in the next federal election? You want to start again? Uh, it depends. Yeah. <laughs> it depends on the state of the economy. I think up until recently I might have said that the economy was looking pretty good for the Conservatives, uh, relatively speaking. Obviously, not, we're not in boom times, but in relatively terms. Uh, and they were going to have all these policies they could unveil in terms of, of free trade agreements and balanced budgets and tax cuts. And I still think it may well be a, a, a net positive for them. But we've certainly seen a slowing, particularly on the employment front, in the last little while. And it's going to depend on one, whether, whether we resume a downward momentum on the unemployment front or whether it continues in this kind of sluggish growth. If we get, the down, if we get it down to the low sixes, it's hard for me to see time for change trumping the economy. I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but generally speaking, people tend to stick with the devil they know when the economy is relatively good. If it doesn't, if it's an uncertain economy and he doesn't have that trump card to play, then all those accumulated negatives they've got in terms of the way they, they govern, their contempt for parliament, these kinds of issues, um, people might be more willing to say, let's, uh, let's try somebody else. John, tell uh, I don't have not very uh, often seen time for change trump serious issues. Uh, we always talk about the mood for change, but it's always based on perceived incompetence or inability of governments to solve an issue or a crisis. It's not just based on, oh, gee, you know, how about we make change? Exactly. So uh, there are juries still out as to whether enough Canadians perceive one or the other opposition parties as competent enough to run government. And I think there are still issues in the public's mind there, especially on the economy. But I also think that uh, regardless of how the economy performs, this government is going to miss Jim Flaherty in the next election because he stood for the economic record of the government, I would argue, more so than Stephen Harper. And while well, Joe Oliver is not an incompetent minister, he has not built that kind of persona. And so if you were going to use the economy to trump everything else, all the baggage, you have lost a lot when Jim Flaherty went. Well, I think most elections are in one way or another about whether it's time for a change or we're better to stick with what is continuity. And, and I think this one will be no different. Um, sometimes that's about economic continuity. Sometimes it's about other issues. Um, and I guess if I look at it right now, I would say I've seen situations where more people were more angry with incumbents than they are today. Certainly two-thirds of voters would rather have a different government, but probably only half of those are really angry at this government. And the other half might resent me saying this, but they're not as angry as I've seen people be in the past. They're angry at you. But the point there is those people, that extra third of the, of the voting public, they're going to look at change, and they're either going to be inspired by it or unnerved by it. And I think that's uh, where the prime minister has to broaden his appeal, broaden his message, and where the opposition leaders have to de-risk uh, their own scenario. And that work is the work of the next 12 months, I think. All right. Well, speaking of the next 12 months, I love this last question. That's why I saved it to the last one. It's from uh, Paul Juniper from Amherst Island, Ontario. What is the single most important issue the government must deal with before the next election? Let's go in reverse order. Bruce, you started. Well, I don't think it's a single substantive issue. It's a tonal issue. It's an attitude. I think the biggest challenge that the government has had is that almost the, from the day after it was first elected. The day it was elected, it said, we want to win everybody's support. We want to govern for everybody. But ever since then, the government has been sending out a pretty consistent signal that if you don't agree with them on everything, then they don't really care that much to have your vote, or it, certainly they don't want to go out of their way 
to curry favor with you. And they didn't win by that much, so they can't afford to lose too much support. And I think the work of the, of the Conservatives in the next year has to be to signal to voters who like their economic policy but aren't as comfortable with their environmental policy and maybe don't believe law and order is quite that big an issue in their lives, that those voters are as important to the Conservatives as, uh, as other voters, core ideological Conservatives are. Chantal? I agree it's more about tone and about getting this or that uh, checked off and I, I think part of the challenge for a government after 10 years is to show voters that it still has the energy to have ambition uh, and that has not been apparent over the past one, uh, two years. Uh, the government has a lot of unresolved issues that it seems to have just walked away. The environment, climate change would be uh, one of those, but also if you look at the Senate, if you look at, at, at the way change is not being discussed, the CBC would be a case in point. The sense that there are no ideas coming out of the government, that it's only in the business of letting things fall off by the wayside, I think that needs to be addressed because it's becoming a question of whether they still really want to run the country or they're just happy to be in power. I can't believe that it, it took till minute 13 to get the Senate. In the <laughs> uh, Andrew. I agree in principle. Uh, I just don't think it's going to happen. Uh, the, 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 yeah, I would love to see the government reverse itself and become a more uh, you know, accommodating, democratically accountable, all these things. I just don't think it's going to happen. And I don't think, short of Stephen Harper stepping down, that it would convince people who are upset with him over these kinds of issues. So if we're just looking at the politics of it rather than necessarily the substance, if I were the Conservatives, I think the only thing they can really do is just deliver on some of these economic things, deliver on the free trade agreements, deliver on the tax cuts, and make voters who, who want to punish them, make them think twice, make them really hurt, saying, oh, if I dump the Conservatives for this other party, I'm going to have to give up X, Y, and Z. Uh, because I, I just don't think they're going to be believable as, as uh, we've changed, you know, we're nicer now, we, we accept Parliament's rule, etc. Unless Stephen Harper goes. Unless, if, right. if Stephen Harper goes, then a new leader would have a, a chance to make a fresh start to some extent on that. All right. I've got 30 seconds left. Is that issue still on the table, the, the Harper leaving before an election? You covered more prime ministers than I have. After three mandates, uh, it's always an issue until it's not anymore because the calendar tells you it's not. And that's, we haven't reached that point yet. We're coming closer yeah, to clock's it. clock's ticking. It's, you know, it's tough as we've seen through history, for a replacement to do well given a short period of time. Has that stopped prime ministers from walking <laughs> yeah, exactly. away in the exactly. snow? Where, where, do you think it's still on the table? Yes or no would yes. be the appropriate answer. You think it's still on the table? I think they still have until next spring, early next spring, to make a decision. Interesting. All right. Thank you all. You are relieved of your duties for another few more weeks. <laughs>